Our reading today is on page 973 of the Bibles in front of you. It's Matthew chapter 1, and we will be starting at verse 18. So it's, it starts on 973, not 974. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Caroline. Tempted to make a reread the whole of uh, chapter one with all those funny names, but uh, resisted that temptation. Let me pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us today by your Spirit through your prophets. And please give us ears to hear your voice and hearts that believe and obey. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When my nephew was about three or four, uh, my parents, his grandparents, bought for him for Christmas a um, wheelie suitcase, a suitcase with wheels. Um, I think they were going on holiday in the summer. Um, and uh, he wanted to have charge of his own possessions. And so he loaded his other presents into his little wheelie suitcase, and he wheeled them round and round the lounge. And then he came over to me sitting on the sofa, and in the sort of world-weary tone of a seasoned, long-distance traveller, he said, I really needed this. (laughs) Christmas is a good time to think about not just what we really want, but what we really need. Um, You're never too young to have an answer, I guess. And what does the world really need? Uh, The newspapers have plenty of suggestions, don't they? Um, An answer to climate change, uh, lower inflation rates, an end to war, uh, more of Harry and Meghan, less of Harry and Meghan. Better penalty takers. What do you really need? Broken health? 
to be fixed, um, broken finances to be fixed, a broken relationship to be fixed. And the Bible says that our biggest problem is sin. And sin is not being on uh, Santa's naughty list. Um, It is our rebellion against God. It is a broken relationship. Um, It is our determination to put ourselves in God's place. In fact, it is sin that has caused every other problem in the world, sometimes directly, more often uh, indirectly. I insist on being God in my little world, and you insist on being God in your little world, and that's okay um, until our little worlds overlap and our interests conflict, and we all know the relational pain that results. Our biggest problem, says the Bible, is sin. And left to ourselves, we can't fix it. And people have been trying through all of human history, um, through morality, uh, through education, through religion, but they haven't fixed it yet, have they? And the Bible says that what we need is God himself to come in person to save us from our sins. And Matthew's claim in this passage is that with the birth of Jesus, that is exactly what has happened. Jesus is the gift that the world really needs. Last week we looked at uh, Jesus' family tree in the first half of chapter one. Um, I imagine that Pip having read all those names to us, has probably spent the last week lying down in a darkened room um, trying to recover from the experience. Matthew starts his book with that family tree um, to show us something of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. We saw last week that Jesus is God's long-promised king who has come to take his people home. And in today's session, uh, section, Matthew fills out each half of that a little more. Jesus is not just God's long-promised king. He is God himself. And in order to take his people home, he has come to save them from their sins. So two parts to Matthew's big message, to the Holy Spirit's big message for us this morning. First of all, Jesus is God himself. Let's start at the beginning of Matthew's story. Verse 18. Uh, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And that word birth is the same as the word genealogy. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, it's the Greek word genesis, um, from which we get the name of the first book of the Bible. If the book of Genesis gave us the story of God creating the world and creating humanity... Uh, Matthew is giving us a new Genesis, the story of God recreating the world and recreating humanity after human sin had blighted the first creation. That is what we need, isn't it? That kind of fresh start. And Matthew's story of recreation starts with Jesus. Actually, it starts with Jesus' parents, Actually, even that is not exactly right, is it? Verse 16, uh, the last line of the the genealogy has flagged up. There might be a story to tell here. And we expect verse 16 to say, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the father of Jesus. But instead we get this funny sort of roundabout expression. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And then Matthew says, perhaps I better explain 
And the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. It's a good story. Uh, There's a, a misunderstanding between a boy and a girl that nearly leads to disaster and broken hearts. But then with a bit of Christmas magic and the appearance of an angel, um, it all comes good in the end on one level. Um, it is sort of the feel-good Christmas movie that predates Richard Curtis and Hugh Grant and the Jimmy Stewart and all the rest. On another level, uh, this story has the advantage of being historically true. And rather than giving you a warm glow for a few minutes and hopelessly unrealistic expectations of the power of romantic love for the rest of your life, um, this story can be your story. And it can meet your greatest need. Middle of verse 18, when, his, when Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Joseph knows three things for certain. Um, one, Mary is pregnant. Uh, two, Joseph is not the father. And three, I mean, it hardly needs saying, but let's spell it out. Um, nobody gets pregnant by themselves. Um, even with today's advances in reproductive technology, it remains the case that, biologically speaking, um, every human being after Adam and Eve, except this one that we're talking about today, um, has one human mother and one human father. This story brings out the most extraordinary chronological snobbery in people. You know what I say? People say, um, well, of course, the poor fools back then didn't know very much science. Um, so it's only people with PhDs in biology that are having babies today. Uh, they didn't know a lot of science. They were very credulous, very superstitious. Uh, and, of course, the story of Jesus being conceived in the womb of a virgin well. It's just the kind of thing they thought was happening left, right, and centre. And what a stupid thing to say. People knew the facts of life. Uh, Joseph knew the facts of life. Indeed, that's his problem, isn't it? I don't think we can criticise him for not trusting Mary more or something. However much he trusts Mary, there is no way around the facts of life for him. And there was no explanation on earth except that she was pregnant by another man. Of course, there is another explanation. Um, it is from beyond the earth. Uh, the reader knows, verse 18, that Mary is with child from the Holy Spirit. Perhaps we should say this is a world away from those um, grubby stories from other ancient religions featuring sort of physical coupling between gods and humans. It's not that. This is the same spirit who hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter 1 to bring all creation into being. And the same spirit whom God breathed into the dust in Genesis chapter 2 to create living people. And that, now, that same spirit now miraculously supplies what is required for the egg in Mary's womb to be fertilised and to begin to grow as a little baby who is both fully human and fully God. But Joseph doesn't know all that. Um, he just knows that Mary is pregnant and he is not the father. And so being a just man, a righteous man, obedient to God's law, and therefore unable to go through with a marriage under these circumstances, um, he resolved to divorce her. Getting engaged in that culture was a, a legal procedure. Uh, Joseph is already being referred to in verse 19 as Mary's husband, even though they haven't yet had the marriage. 
where the husband would take the wife home. And so breaking off an engagement in that culture required a, a legal procedure here called a divorce. And now that could be a very public event. Indeed, because Joseph isn't at fault, um, it would be in his interests to make sure that what he assumes to be the facts are as widely known as possible. But Joseph is compassionate. And he is unwilling to put Mary to shame. So even at potential cost to his reputation, in fact, um, potentially at cost to his ability to marry in the future, um, he resolves to break off the engagement quietly, with as little fuss as possible. But even that, well-motivated as it was by this just and compassionate man, in fact, that would have been the wrong thing to do, because Mary is, in fact, innocent. And God intervenes to save Joseph from doing the wrong thing. Verse 20, as he considered these things, uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Uh, Matthew has no interest in telling us what this angel looked like. Uh, Nothing in the Bible to suggest that angels had either halos or wings. Uh, They're never portrayed in the Bible, like in old paintings, as fat naked babies. Um, Nor like in the school nativity play, as cute blonde four-year-old girls. Um, The Bible doesn't say a whole lot about what angels look like. The chief interest of the Bible writers, every time an angel appears, is in what the angel says. Indeed, angel means messenger. It applies to human messengers as much as supernatural ones. And so God, through his messenger, through his angel, now reveals to Joseph what we as readers already know. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This baby is fully God and fully man. Jesus, the helpless, unborn baby, utterly dependent on his mother, is God himself. Mary's body is sustaining the life of the God who is sustaining her. Good luck getting your head around that. However it works, it is the ultimate act of humble condescension Lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, we sing. You are our God beyond all praising, yet for love's sake became a man. The supernatural conception of Jesus means that um, he is not only fully human, but fully God. One writer says that between Jesus' genealogy in the first half of chapter one and this story of his birth in the second half of the chapter, uh, Matthew is telling us that if Jesus is physically Mary's son and legally Joseph's son, at an even more fundamental level, he is God's son. Verse 23 uh, is explicit about the divine identity of this baby. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This baby is God himself come to his people. When God acts to put his king back on the throne of the world, he doesn't send his top angel 
um, his best qualified deputy. Um, he comes in person. The line of human descendants of David had proved desperately inadequate kings. The sinful rule of the Davidic kings had ended with God's people driven into exile, the deportation for their sin. Um, Jesus is uh, legally qualified to be God's king because the promise had been um, that that king would come in the line of David and legally um, Jesus is the son of Joseph and therefore the descendant of David. But the virgin birth, the virgin conception means there is a, a radical break in the family tree. And that fresh start makes the point that Jesus is much more than just another descendant of David. What David's biological descendants never achieved, God has come in person, the person of his son Jesus, to achieve. And what is it that he has come to achieve? Well, more briefly, the second part of Matthew's big message for us. Jesus is God himself, come to save his people from their sins. Verse 21 again. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Actually, that verse makes sort of both halves of our big point, because Jesus means uh, Yahweh saves. Yahweh, Jehovah, is the personal name of the God of Israel in the Old Testament, the one true God, the creator, uh, the rescuer, the judge. Joseph is to call this baby Yahweh saves, for this baby will save his people from their sins. This baby has people, and he's come to save them from their sins. This baby is Yahweh, the one true God, come in person to save his people from their sins. Sin is the world's biggest problem. I mean, it's my biggest problem and your biggest problem until we're saved from it. Our rebellion against God has catastrophically mucked up the world and God will one day rightly judge us for it. And if we persist in rejecting him, he will one day reject us. Our sin is bad news for the way our lives might go now. I mean, it's infinitely worse in eternity. And therefore, being saved from our sin is our greatest need. And that is exactly what Jesus has come to do. As the book goes on, we'll see that he does it by an extraordinary act of self-substitution at the cross. Jesus, God himself, steps in to take his own judgment on our sin so that we don't need to. Jesus is God himself come to save his people from their sins as promised. And verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's the first of at least 10 times, I think, in Matthew. So Matthew says something like that. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, or something similar. He wants us to know all the way through that what he is saying about Jesus, um, it is radical, it is surprising, um, it is better news than anybody had been expecting, and yet it, it doesn't come out of nowhere. 
And we can have confidence that Jesus really is God himself, come to save his people from his sins. Because actually that is what the, prom- the, the prophets have been promising um, for hundreds of years. Verse 23 is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah's writing, writing uh, perhaps 700 years before Jesus is born. And in the section of Isaiah that runs from chapter 7 to chapter 11, he has kind of two parallel uh, panels, both of which contain the promise of a Messiah, a new king, who will bring salvation after a period of serious failure by God's people. Uh, the genealogy in the first half of Matthew chapter 1 portrays Israel as still being in exile. Geographically, that's not quite true. Um, Israel had been deported to Babylon, but then allowed to return home. Jesus is born in the land of Israel. After all, the land is inhabited by um, Jewish people at the time that Matthew is writing. Um, the, the Jewish people aren't sort of geographically in exile anymore. And yet spiritually, um, Matthew is saying that God's people have not yet returned to him. And there's no mention of the return in the genealogy, just deportation. And because taken as a whole... The nation of Israel in Matthew's day continues to live in rebellion against God. And the rebellion that got them kicked out of the land in the first place. But it's people like that, um, people described in Isaiah 7, um, 3 to 11, that should have been expecting the sign in Isaiah 7 and Isaiah um, 9. The new messianic king He's going to come from a most surprising um, place. He's not going to be uh, the, the son of the king, um, the son of the human king, as you might expect. In fact, the Old Testament is a long line of special babies born in unlikely circumstances. Uh, Isaac, born to the geriatric Sarah. Uh, Jacob and Esau, born to the barren Rebekah. Samson, born to the barren wife of Manoah. God keeps producing babies from unexpected places. And now in a literal fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy, the Messiah is born to the most unlikely mother of all, a virgin. Actually, this is the moment that Isaiah had been promising, the surprising birth of God's Messiah, God himself, Emmanuel, come to save his people from their sins. Sin had resulted in Adam and Eve being thrown out of the presence of God in the garden. Um, Sin had resulted in Israel being thrown out of the presence of God in the promised land of Canaan. Um, Sin has resulted in all of us living our lives outside the blessing of knowing God as he longs to be known. And salvation from sin results in that separation being undone. And now God can dwell with us, and we with him. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. I don't know if you'll be watching um, the King's first Christmas message this year. I assume that's a tradition he'll continue. I'd be surprised, delighted, but surprised, if he will ever be as clear and as biblical about the significance of Christmas as his mother was in her 2011 message She said this, I won't do the voice, and you need to know what a strong temptation it is. She said, although we are capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. 
God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith. It can heal broken families, it can restore relationships, and it can reconcile divided communities. It is in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. Jesus is God himself, and come to save his people from their sins. And I think Joseph in this passage models for us the right response to Jesus. In fact, I think Joseph is supposed to be kind of representative of the Jewish person who responds rightly to Jesus. And in the next passage, we get um, the Magi, the wise men, who show us um, what it looks like for people from the nations, for non-Jews, Gentiles, uh, to respond rightly to Jesus. And here's Joseph, verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel commanded him. And he took his wife but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Joseph obeys God's word uh, through the angel. And he calls the name of this new baby Jesus. Um, I think it is more than just picking the right name from the list. I think in doing so, he is acknowledging that Jesus is who the angel says he is. And it is an extraordinary moment this perfectly sensible, normal, first century man, not someone given to superstition, as we've seen, this everyday Joe, um, he looks at his new baby, squirming, crying, and because of what God has said to him through his angel, uh, Joseph says, this is Jesus. And this is Yahweh saving his people. This is God himself, come to save his people. And he may be my baby, but I am one of his people. He is my king. He is my God. He is my savior. Joseph knows that the biggest problem with the world is sin. The biggest problem in his own life is his own sin. And he looks to this baby to meet that need. He can't yet understand how that could work. He doesn't yet know that this baby is going to grow up to be a man, to be rejected by most of his Jewish compatriots and to die on a cross in a unique act of self-substitution, taking Joseph's sin, my sin, and his heavenly father's judgment on himself. And we might think, well, if I had an angel come and tell me about the identity of Jesus, I'd believe it. Lucky Joseph for getting that um, experience. But really, we're the lucky ones. Um, we're the ones with all the information that Joseph didn't have. It is despite all the things that he doesn't know that Joseph obeys God's word and he puts his trust in Jesus, in his own adopted son, as God himself come in person to save him from his sin. Have you responded rightly to Jesus, like Joseph? And if not, today is as good a day as any to do that. I'm gonna to pray to close in a moment if you want to acknowledge that your biggest problem is sin and you want Jesus to save you from it. 
you can echo that prayer in your own heart. And actually, the rest of us can too. Those of us who are already trusting Jesus, we need daily to acknowledge our sin and to put our trust in Jesus again, don't we? So let me lead us in prayer as we close. Dear God, thank you for coming in the person of Jesus to save your people from their sin. We're sorry for our rebellion against you and the sins against one another that have flowed from that rebellion. Please save us through Jesus' death on the cross in our place. We thank you that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us every moment of every day. In his name, amen.